0: Well it is good to see everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Visitors, we are so happy that you've come to join us. Thank you for being here. You've come to a fine church and I hope that you will stay around long enough to figure that out. So uh, please, please give us a chance to meet you after the worship service today. We'll have a time of fellowship as has already been announced and then we'll move into our Bible classes and I hope we uh, can have a chance to know you. We cannot go on like this anymore. Have you heard anybody say that or something equivalent to that in the last year, two years? We cannot go on like this anymore. Something has got to change. We feel that way. We've, we know what our problems are. We know what's wrong, you know, in our society or think we do. But I know for sure that in Jesus' day, On the brink of John the Baptist, explosive ministry down by the Jordan River. That's what people were saying. We cannot go on like this. We have to have a change. There are some psalms that it's easy for us to put in our songbook. There are other psalms that we don't sing that often. Psalms 80 is one of those. Because it says, starting in verse 4, How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? It's kind of hard to put that in a happy song, you know? You have fed us with the bread of tears, you have made us drink tears by the bowlful, you have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies. Mock us. That is not in our songbook anywhere. But I bet you, I am certain that that is one of the Psalms that the people, right before the ministry of John the Baptist, were saying, chanting, singing in their synagogues. How long, Lord, are you, is this going to go on? We cannot continue like this. We have to have a change. The people on the brink of John the Baptist's ministry were living under foreign occupation. From the Jewish point of view, from the Old Testament point of view, they were occupied by people who lived at the end of the world, people in Italy and beyond. That's the edge of, of the world almost and these romans have come here and about 70 years ago they just took over one of our own leaders thought it was a good idea to ask to appeal to them to settle a dispute with one of our other leaders and as a result the romans came in and settled the dispute by just taking everything and now in our cities, in our towns, in our villages, in the land that God promised to Abraham and Abraham's descendants, these foreigners, these idolaters, these Roman soldiers, these Roman occupiers patrol our streets. Now they're supposed to treat us with respect as people who are part of the Roman Empire. But you know how that goes. If we do something to them, the full weight of Roman justice falls on us. Prison. Death by crucifixion. dismemberment of the entire family. But if they do something to one of our families, the wheels of Roman justice grind slowly If at all, we can't go on like this. We have to have a change. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Now, it's in that context that this amazing ministry happens. John the Baptist, born of two old parents who are of the priestly family, the tribe of Levi. And God turns him into a prophet, the kind of prophet that we haven't seen since Elijah and Elisha. He's a wild man. He lives, you know, he's all hairy. His garments are even hairy. He eats who knows what kind of food. And he lives out there by the Jordan River. And if you come to see him, he doesn't say, God loves you, have a nice day. He says, Woe to you, for the wrath of God is coming. Who warned you to run away from the judgment that's coming? The axe is already falling, the fires are already. Starting. That was the kind of preacher John the Baptist was. It was old fashioned hellfire, damnation preaching. And people flocked to him. Let's read the record. It's there on your study sheet. The first six verses of Matthew chapter 3. You can turn to it in your Bible. That'd be better. But you can also read it on the cheat sheet. Uh, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the kingdom of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts, wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This was a sweeping revival. There were other preachers that rose up from time to time. There were famous rabbis that have left some of their names we can recover even in history. But John the Baptist was like nothing people had seen for centuries really. He was remarkable. We have complaints from two or three centuries earlier that You know, God, we we haven't had a prophet in a long time. How come you're not speaking anymore through prophets? And when John the Baptist comes, he he looks like a prophet from God, and that's the way people received him, and that's what he was. And people are starting to whisper, I wonder if he's the Messiah. I wonder if that's who he is. And it says the whole countryside is going out there, and they are flocking to him, and they are confessing their sins, and they are being... Baptized, immersed in the muddy Jordan River waters and uh, raised up a baptism of repentance. Can you imagine what that was like? Jordan River is down in a deep valley. It's part of the Great Rift Valley, really. It's 800 feet below sea level. If you, if you want to hike down there from uh, where most people live, you've got to hike from Jerusalem, you've got to hike about three miles. And, and drop in elevation about 1,200 feet. You get down there to where the Jordan River is. And when you get there, John the Baptist is preaching another one of his fiery sermons. But I think old people went, young people went. Imagine, old Jewish men coming down to hear this guy preach. Something they hadn't seen in Israel for centuries and then suddenly stepping out and saying, Here's what's been wrong in my life. Says they were confessing their sins. Old men who had seen the changes since the Romans had come in. They had seen what it was like the Romans put the puppet king Herod in place, a violent, vicious man. They had seen Herod's descendants, one ruling up in Galilee in that region, another ruling for a short time in. Jerusalem, and now just a Roman governor, Pilate, taken over in Jerusalem. They had seen what that Roman occupation was doing to people the old men, the old women. They were worried, not just that the Romans are here, but this persistent drip of injustice. What's it doing to our people? They see the young Jews starting to talk like Romans, and starting to act like Romans, and even starting to dress like Romans. Some of the families in Jerusalem starting to send their children off to get a Roman education if they could afford it. Look at what's happening. We can't go on like this. Things have to change. And somehow, that fear and anxiety and worry about how the world is John takes that and says, we need to start with you. You can't fix everything in the world. But today, God is calling you to change your ways. We use the word repentance. That's an old word. He said, you change today. Come and wash away the old crud that you've been doing, announce to the world the the slime and the muck that you've been living in and come up out of that water telling everyone that you have changed. Old men did it. Young men did it. The young men were in constant danger now that the Romans were occupying the land. They were in in danger of being conscripted into the Roman auxiliaries. It wasn't supposed to happen, but it did happen. They were in danger of just being beaten up because some soldiers got drunk. They were in danger just because they looked at a group of soldiers wrong. Soldiers themselves were a little paranoid and... It was not unknown for them to take a little justice into their own hands or into their own swords, as the case may be. But the young men come, and they can't change all that, but John says, you can change you. And they were baptized, a baptism of change. Young women came. Young women in that culture were in great danger as well. Foreign soldiers are supposed to respect the local population, but foreign soldiers are foreign soldiers. And if they abuse women, if they take advantage of their power, Roman justice may act, but often does not act. We can't go on like this. We've got to have a change. And John says, let's start with the change in you. The baptism of change, the baptism of repentance. That's what he's preaching. Luke tells us, I, I love Jeremy's communion talk because it, it touches on this. Again, we do not coordinate very well, so I didn't know he was going to talk about that. But Luke says, tax collectors showed up to be baptized. And they said, what are we supposed to do? Don't cheat people. That's what you need to change. The most surprising people that showed up at John's revival and baptism ceremonies were soldiers themselves. They showed up and they said, what are we supposed to do? And John actually said, don't rob people. I know you've got the power to do it and there's very, you're very unlikely to be punished if you do. Don't rob people. Don't extort people. Don't threaten people. Be content with what you're being paid. He baptized them too. The baptism of change. The baptism of repentance. It's an amazing thing that God can Bring this guy out of obscurity and all of a sudden everybody who's so anxious about how the world is comes to him to say, at least I want to get right with God. He says, I'm that voice that you've been reading about your whole lives, that Isaiah 40 voice. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. You know what you need to change. Let's start there. The baptism of change. All kinds of people came to confess their sins and be baptized by John. The next section, even the Jewish leaders came, though maybe... From impure motives, the next section starting in verse 7 says, even the Jewish leaders came, though maybe from impure motives. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. Incidentally, based on Luke, he would say that to lots of groups, but he particularly points out the Sadducees and the Pharisees when they show up. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with change, with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John is a no holds bar kind of preacher. He is saying judgment is real. God is coming. He is going to hold you accountable for how you have lived your life. Are you ready to face him? Then get ready if you're not. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had an uneasy relationship with John. We can kind of piece it together through the various Gospels, what they thought of John. I think they came to observe him, and once the movement reached a certain critical mass, some of them may have even wanted to be baptized, at least for the look of the thing, because they didn't want the disapproval of the people the pious people that they were supposed to be leading. And John's not having it. I think he, he senses what their motivations are. And that's why he gives them such a thrashing in this passage. Make your life different. Change what is wrong. Change what you know you have been doing wrong. Make your life different and start over again. That's the John the Baptist ministry. It continues to have echoes for decades. Even after Christianity has started, we still run into people who are looking back to this incredible John the Baptist revival that happened among Israel. Paul runs into people in Ephesus of all places. That are still connected back to this John the Baptist revival and this John the Baptist baptism of change. But John says, I'm not really here for me. God sent me to get ready for the one who's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's my mission, that's my main message. Prepare the way of the Lord. Israel, you need to change. You need to be in a state of repentance, in a state of change, because something amazing is about to happen. And that's where the story picks up in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his weed into the barns, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The winnowing fork. I've actually seen one of those in operation one time, an old-fashioned... Uh, winnowing fork. It wasn't grain. It was actually beans, but it was the same principle. This guy went around his bean harvest and he just smashed down on it repeatedly with a big stick on a chain. And when he'd done that for a long, long time, he brought this other thing out that was kind of like a pitchfork shovel thing, and he would throw it up into the air and the beans were heavy, the beans that had been, their shells had been broken loose, they would fall straight down, and the wind would carry the shells off to one side. And he would do that over and over again. And after a while, the husks of the beans were all off to one side, and the beans that he wanted to save were there, and he had them. What did he do with the husks? The trash, you burn those. This was an illustration that made total sense to people in the ancient world. When God comes to judge the world, he's going to sort those that he saves and those that are destined for the fire. That's what John's talking about, and everybody that was in the audience would have understood. What's interesting about John's message, however, is that he says, I am here to prepare the way for one who is coming. Everybody knows God is coming in judgment. John says, you're about to meet that person. The one who one day will be separating the wheat from the chaff. Burning up the chaff and saving the wheat. I'm baptizing you with water. He's going to baptize you. He's going to immerse you. He's going to cover you over with either the Holy Spirit or with fire. And Matthew kind of builds the tension to this point, And at that moment, Jesus comes into the scene. Then Jesus, verse 13, came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness, Jesus too came to be baptized. He says, this is something God has initiated through you, John. And as God's man here on earth, I want to submit to my father. Jesus doesn't need to change. He's not guilty of any sins. John knows that. He says, I need need your baptism. You don't need mine. And Jesus says, you, John, are a God movement. This change baptism of yours is from God. I want to participate. Let it be so for now. And so he's baptized to fulfill the righteousness of God. Look what happens afterwards. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, or went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. To fulfill all righteousness, Jesus too came to be baptized. When he comes up from the water, he is, two things happen. He is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. This is probably the moment, if not before, when he is anointed as God's king. And he is affirmed by his heavenly father. This is my Well-loved Son, in whom I delight, with whom I am well-pleased. That's an amazing moment. Jesus is taken into the Jordan River. He's buried in that water. And when he rises up, he sees the Holy Spirit coming down. Turns out John the Baptist sees that too. And he hears the voice of God speaking to him these words. It turns out these words have a history. These are not random words that God chose just for this moment. These are words that are rich in the heritage of the Old Testament. Psalms 2 Starting in verse 6, I have placed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. That was one of the, That's the first of the royal psalms that we have in Scripture. It was a psalm that the Jews were well familiar with. God speaks to Jesus saying, you are my kingly son. That's your job. But he also uses a language from a different passage, a more obscure passage. If you keep notes in your Bibles, you might want to jot down both Psalms 2 and also Isaiah 42. Isaiah has these little little episodes about the servant in various places. And, and here's one of them, and, and actually the words that God speaks at Jesus' baptism come from one of these little servant songs that are embedded in the latter half of Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, Isaiah 42 verse 1, my chosen one in whom I delight or who is well loved. I will put my spirit on him. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth and all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for my people and a light for the nations, the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, To free captives from prison. To release from dungeons those who sit in darkness. I am Jehovah. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. God uses the language of Isaiah 42, the servant song, as well as the language of Psalms 2, to speak to Jesus in that great moment when he submits to the baptism of change, the baptism of repentance of John. You're my son. I delight in you. You are well loved by me. I give you my spirit, Isaiah 42 says. And this means you're on a mission to establish justice, to set free the prisoners, to let go those who are chained in dungeons of darkness. That's you. That's what you will do, my son. Trying to figure out what Jesus is thinking is always difficult for us. He's God in the flesh but he is also as human as you and me. And in that moment, at least the human side of Jesus realizes I have been accepted by my Father and set on my mission to be God's King on earth. Because we can't go on like this. Things have to change. When you look at your life today, church, it's easy to look out there at the world and say, we can't go on like this. Things have to change. It's easy to say that, meaning I want that person to change and that group to change and those people to change and those guys. That's the problem. And the significance of John's baptism and now the significance of the baptism of Jesus Christ is this. God wants to start with you. If you've never been baptized... You can make that change today. You go down into the water and the same kinds of things that happen to Jesus happens to you. You come out of the water and you get the Holy Spirit. That's what scripture promises. And you get affirmation from God as well. You are my adopted child from this day forward. That's what baptism means. If you've never done that, today would be the day. Let the change that you want to see start with you. And if it's been a while since your baptism, and you're not happy with your life, and you're not happy with the world around you, I want you to focus your mind on what happened to you in the moment that God saved you in the waters of baptism. You were buried. You were raised up. God saw fit to put His holy breath, His Holy Spirit into you. Not because you deserved it, but because Jesus Christ made it possible. And God said to you, You are my child. You may live below your privileges. We all do from time to time. You may look at your life now as a Christian for a while that really needs to still get some things right. Things need to change. Let's change those. But you, God has said it, you are God's child. Brothers and sisters, let's do what we need to do to live up to what God has proclaimed about us. If you need to respond to God's invitation, why don't we do that as we stand and as we sing?